0: Positive Regression, a Motorsports Analytics podcast. I'm Alan Kavana, joined as always by David Smith. On this episode, a look at what we've learned from New Hampshire. No, not overreaction theater, but legit takeaways that could tell us something about the upcoming playoff run. And we take a look at the remaining free agents in the Cup Series, asking which team may be the f- best fit for each driver. But first, as always, we start with a look back. This one, a bit timely, it's episode 112. Harrison Burton just announced he will be a Cup Series driver next year, so we're looking back on Burton's time in the KNNE Series number 12 car. David, Burton made 33 starts in that series, all of them in this 12 car, five wins. They all came in one season way back in 2017 when he was all of 16 years old. I don't know much about my k history. I, did this stand out for you for a reason or why Harrison Burton in this car? Oh yeah, it
1: was weird.
0: And if we
1: look back a week and understand That This announcement with him going to the 21 car and the driver that he's replacing, everything about that scenario was polarizing. And not in terms of uh, vitriol towards Harrison Burton, but consider there are fans who are split on Burton's viability as a NASCAR Cup Series prospect. There's good reason for that. I don't think anyone truly knows what... He offers, and we can go back to his time in this number twelve K N and East car. It's now the Arc East series, but his first full season in the car was in 2016. Allen he had one top five finish. He had a negative one point five three six peer, which ranked 31st of 31 eligible drivers. Mm-hmm. The very next season. You mentioned the, the wins. Uh, that was huge. Uh, five of them that season alone. He ranked first in Pierre, a 4.571, uh, first among 22 eligible drivers, and he won the championship that season. What happened there, I'm still not totally clear on. Uh, In 2016, he drove for H. Scott Motorsports. It was the same number, same sponsor. It would be a different team moving forward into 2017. But in that one year with H. Scott, he burned through three crew chiefs. And that was uh, a, a tough scenario for him. H. Scott actually won the championship that season with Justin Haley, Driving a car. So it wasn't as if the organization was completely in the weeds. It was just this one team. The next season, Burton made the jump uh, to what was called MDM motorsports, but more importantly, the crew chief attached was Marty Lindley. And this was the k and East title winning crew chief for Dylan Kwasniewski. He would later go on to win the Archie East series with Sam Mayer. And this was the title winning crew chief on behalf of Burton. And this is what sort of righted the ship. And I don't really know, even as a, a former evaluator, I don't know what to make <laughs> of this because he, he literally went from being the least productive driver on the racetrack to the most productive driver. It's a heck of a jump. It isn't unprecedented. We've seen similar ebbs and flows in the past. Uh, Bubba Wallace had a a pretty up and down upbringing uh, through the rungs of NASCAR's ladder system. Uh, Brandon Jones as well. Uh, We've seen Names just just kind of go back and forth on the on the peer scale, and here's Harrison Burton. And not only did it happen in this series, it continued later on. He went winless in the Truck Series, his first year in the Xfinity Series. He won four times. Yeah. He had a better Xfinity Series peer in his rookie year than Chase Elliott had in his rookie year. And Chase Elliott won the title and 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 drew all of that acclaim, and that was a really big deal. Uh, and this season. Burton is winless despite a Joe Gibbs racing program that just won last weekend with Christopher Bell in the car. I believe that was their eighth win for that, uh, for that 54 team. So having themselves a year, but Burton is not a part of that. So you look at this young driver, firstly, do, do you criticize him? Well, young drivers are going to you know kind of do young driver things, and it might not make a whole lot of sense. But this is truly a situation in which the ceiling is very high. The floor could also be pretty low. <laughs> we, we don't really know what we're we're going to get. And when you consider that he's going to the Cup Series next year and there are fans torn, there are folks in the media that don't quite know what to make of it, I, I think the reasoning is valid. is because there are things that are good to take away, but there has also been some very peculiar – moments that don't make a lot of sense and make it seem that Burton just wasn't ready for whatever the challenge was.
0: On the whole, as an evaluator, I mean, how much, how many strings can you draw or lines can you draw from, you know, any sort of success as a teenager in K&N to climbing that ladder to cup? Is there a lot of correlation? Is it, you know, one in a million type stuff? Uh, How have you seen that, that play out, that relationship? I think
1: in general for every prospect, you have to break it down as what does a driver do well? What does a driver not do well? And then of the things that they don't do well, what can you fix? And I think for the most part, a driver like Burton had more in the what can you fix column uh, than than most after that first season. And that's that's sort of where you get going. You're never going to have a complete – Driver, a complete puzzle. There are pieces missing as you are climbing up the ladder and seeing tracks for the first time, series for the first time, uh, taking on higher levels of competition with every step. That's where you see some drivers rise and some drivers fall. Now, for him specifically, just going by his peripheral stats and trucks, and then what we've seen in a year and a half of Xfinity series. He doesn't do anything at an elite level. He doesn't do anything poorly. He's just kind of in the middle. And when you are that driver, if you've got the car, that's a good thing to have because you can seemingly contend. Maybe the car makes up gaps, but there really isn't a scenario in which you are just weak. But that's a double-edged sword because if a race ends in a certain scenario or a series takes on a certain identity and you're not – Acutely skilled in one thing over another, that's going to come to the surface as well, and that's why he's winless for a good race team and a crew chief that's in Jason Ratcliffe that's won at the Cup Series level. So it's yeah, it it's not it's not going to be black and white. There's a lot of shades of gray when evaluating any driver, uh, and especially. Harrison Burton, and we're, we're having some focus on this just because he's moving to the Cup Series this year. And I think there are a lot of questions that haven't quite been answered of him. Um, he's still a work in progress, and that work might continue when he's in the Cup Series. All you can really hope for is that the Wood brothers who made this hire and Team Penske as part of this affiliation know that and give him this long of a leash to maybe figure it out. Um, If that isn't the case, then it could be a scenario in which uh, he does struggle and there's uh, a lot of head scratching going on.
0: Well, good stuff, because I I like that. I love doing these look backs because uh, look how you've weaved a tale from a few years ago to a random canon season to uh, now and ever present. So good stuff. Good start to episode 112 of Positive Regression.
2: When your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more MVPs faster. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place and indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay go to indeed.com bluewire to claim your 75 dollar credit before march 31st no matter how the last game went anytime you take the field you got a shot at greatness give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more mvps with indeed indeed.com bluewire Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's keep it
0: going, David, because we are heading into a two-week break for the Cup Series season, but coming off a pretty damn good race up in New Hampshire, I must say. I was there, out on pit road, and we talked about it, you know, going in and previewing it, how uh, the significance potentially, only because... It was a 750-horsepower race. Uh, the road to a championship runs through 750-horsepower tracks. We saw in 2020 uh, kind of some of the stuff that New Hampshire showed us going forward. And so we're going to do that again, David. We're going to look back on this New Hampshire race and not overreact, but we can, we can dissect it a little bit and, and try to find five things that this race may have taught us potentially going forward about the rest of the season and or potential championship runs. So let's give it a try, David. Uh, The first one seems pretty obvious, but even though Penske didn't win, didn't defend its uh, New Hampshire crown, it sure seemed like they were pretty damn good on those 750 tracks once again because they all finished. They all, Ryan Blaney led laps, Brad Keselowski was certainly contending, and Joey Logano came back from two laps down and probably had one of the best cars out there, just the freak thing that happened at the beginning of the race. So, uh, David, you know, we, we talked about it last week, how much they needed this race, or at least that was one of my points who needed to be good in this race. And I said, the Penske cars and they showed up. Yeah. I
1: really thought you were going to say that they were going to try to defend the lobster, which (laughs) would have been, great. but either way, um, you picked Joey Logano to win this race. And I want to point out, he finished fourth after what was, a topsy-turvy day. It actually was not a bad pick, um, not a bad call at all. No. And he continues to stand out, I think, as a threat on this track type. But the takeaway, as you mentioned, was the emergence of Ryan Blaney and Brad Keselowski with the fastest and second fastest cars in this race, respectively. Uh, they both took home stage victories they both took on each other for a stretch early during the final stage. Uh, that was quite something. But this whole race, even though they did not win, it was a good reminder that, okay, with, with this focus, uh, they've got something. They, they spent energy and manpower on making this organization uh, one of uh, uh, 750 horsepower specialists. Uh, The result was the fastest and second fastest car uh, in a race on a track that does kind of blend into what we're going to see in the playoffs. Given what we've seen from both of these guys this year, Blaney and Kozlowski, this season, what they've done on 550 tracks, because they're faster there than they are on 750, the semifinal round of the playoffs is Texas, Kansas, and Martinsville, that shapes up to be a killer slate for them on paper. They still need to execute. But as we sit here with four races left in the regular season, I think that we have an idea as to how they've approached the season and how they've engineered their angle for attacking this playoffs. So all of all these machinations, all of this focus – Um, if what we saw at New Hampshire was a a sneak peek of what we're going to see this fall, I think they've done an impressive job at it.
0: Yeah. And again, we don't want to overreact or look too much into it, but again, we only have to look one year back and see that they did something similar at Loudoun in 2020. Brad Keselowski wins. Brad Keselowski brings the same car to Richmond. Something similar wins, brings the same car to Phoenix, and it's the fastest car on the day. So whatever camp you want to be in, you know, I don't want to look too much in, or this is exactly what happened last year. I think you have to be happy though, if you're a team Penske fan.
1: It's how they drew it up. And that, and that's easy to say in hindsight, but it, it is how they, <laughs> they drew it up. It was, they sort of took it on the chin, uh, over the course of this summer, going to these bigger tracks. Keselowski had a fast car at Pocono in the, uh, the second leg of that double header, that was though the kind of the lone blip in what's been a, a pretty quiet. God, I mean, were they even were they even in the race at the Coca-Cola Six <laughs> Hundred? Like, I mean, in, in contention, it didn't seem like it. So it, it's been a while. So that's why we talked about this last week. Is that we would, we just want to check in. We, that's this is kind of what this was. It was a check-in on the strength of the 750 horsepower specialists, and yeah, they're they're still pretty good, is what we learned. And that just you know, it's a, another thorough reminder to not panic when you see these teams not performing up to snuff on mile and a half tracks, two mile tracks, uh, even places like Dover, which I mentioned in in the motorsports analytics Discord chat before the New Hampshire race. Dover may as well just be a high horsepower intermediate track at this point, because it just, it, it sort of lifts right out of what we see from other 750s. But that lack of performance now in hindsight, I'm not too worried about it. I, I think. Penske has done everything that they set out to do, and they're going to be dangerous come playoff time.
0: All right. That was number one. Number two, David, is the other side of that. If Penske was the good, uh, something I was looking at for out of New Hampshire is the other side. Hendrick Motorsports. Again, this was a question going in. If you listen to last week's preview, uh, you know, who needed this to be a good weekend? I made the case for Hendrick, wondering what their 750 project uh, prospects could be in the future. Kyle Larson, the top finisher, certainly never really a contender throughout the day. He was the top HMS finisher in seventh. My man Larry Mack had a great stat, David. That was the first time since the Bristol Dirt Race, another 750 track, that no HMS car was in the top five. Alex Bowman, ninth. Chase Elliott, 18th. William Byron, 21st. David, this may be a little revealing of, of me and my work, but I was there. I covered the race from pit road. I had Chase Elliott's pit. And he he led 53 laps in this race that I don't even remember somehow. Like, where was he? Because he wasn't there at the end, but somehow he still led a sixth of this race, but it just wasn't there at the end. So what I'm getting at is I, I didn't see what I think HMS fans would have wanted to see out of these four cars at a 750 track. If you're putting a lot of weight into you know, one 750 performance may lead to better stuff at, at the next one or in the playoffs. I didn't see it, so I, I think there are still questions there about Hendrick Motorsports and their 750 stuff.
1: Uh, quite a bit, uh, and, and it wasn't as if they were slow. Larson had the seventh the fastest car. Elliott the eighth fastest car. Bowman ranked tenth in median lap time. William Byron ranked nineteenth. That's that's one that, that needs uh, needs some work. Yeah, and he was the fastest 750 guy going into that race. Huh. So it isn't as if they are out and out bad, but here are the the scenarios that are factual. Penske just came in and produced the fastest and second fastest car on a 750 track that translates to playoff tracks. Uh, if you are not of that caliber, if you cannot contend with them, that's going to be an issue. Uh, SHR brought fast cars. JGR brought fast cars mm, with an asterisk. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. I'm, I'm not feeling great if i'm hendrick motorsports it was a you know the, the whereas penske and some of these other teams focus on 750 tracks and it took away from their energy and research and development and everything that goes into the big tracks hendrick took advantage of that and i went on the uh, the teardown podcast after the coke 600 and 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 mentioned this with jordan bianchi the Dover race when Hendrick finished one two, three four and they took a, a family photo after it was at, at the shop after it was over to commemorate the day that that was great for them but i I do get the sense that just most of their competitors really didn't care like that 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 sort of like <laughs> that's have your moment now yeah and and we're going to compete when it matters and this was a race where it didn't matter it was it was the equivalent of of Dover. It's just what pops here could be meaningful come playoff time more so than Dover. And this is when we saw something a little bit more telling. And considering that y- you didn't get the full extent of JGR, yeah, I mean, this is it, it, Hendrick is right to question it. I don't know that they're completely out of championship contention or or that discussion? Because as we talked about this last week, Chase Elliott finished ninth in this race last year. He went on to have a good slate of 750 races in the playoffs last year and won the championship. So it's certainly correctable. But again, in terms of a check-in, you don't really feel great about how Hendrick performed or where they are at relative to what other organizations were able to do and some of that eric almarola being one was pretty astounding as to as to the extent of what they were able to do on this specific 750 track
0: yeah and we'll talk about shr uh coming up but yeah the good for penske the, uh, the questionable wondering what's up with hms at 750 tracks david let's talk first uh our third item jgr Uh, Good on speed. Um, We thought they would have been good and and probably would have had a much better performance if not for the rain. Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., running first and second, both being taken out. Uh, I don't know if we can quite give them a grade on the day, but obviously Christopher Bell, who was our contrarian pick, did very well at the track. And Denny Hamlin uh, had a fast car, Uh, contender, but maybe not for the the victory on Sunday. But what do you make of JGR uh, from this one race?
1: Christopher Bell is probably the metronome here, uh, just because he had the most complete normal race of the four, and he had the sixth fastest car, and was contending at least for the first stage win. Um, he, was, he was putting down some pretty lap, uh, pretty fast laps initially. Denny Hamlin had the fourth fastest car per median lap time. Kyle Busch uh, had the fourth best lap time of each driver's best lap. It ranked fourth. So there were glimpses of something good, something tangible. Um, we just don't really know the full extent of it. And and for me, Kyle Busch is the the man of intrigue here because he came into this ranked fourth among JGR in speed on 750 tracks. And it sure seems as if Kyle Busch and Ben Shore have trotted out a 550 contender this year. I mean, and and they were on par with Hendrick before. Whatever has changed with the nose of Hendrick's cars and <laughs> and, and whatever and whatever we saw at Atlanta, he, he's he, he's kind of the guy. At least for at, for Toyotas, well, that's an easy thing to say. For Toyotas, he's the 550 guy. What we don't know is his viability on 750 tracks. And this was a race, New Hampshire, he actually performed well last year. He tends to perform well all the time. So I I think we missed out on a lot of Kyle Busch running out front. Uh, That wouldn't have mattered to the speed of the Penske cars. Those are still fast cars, but how they stack up is where we're lost. But seeing Chris Bell, again, a driver who's good at New Hampshire, he's undefeated there in the Xfinity series, perform... Uh, I mean, well, six fastest car and, and had a car, I think, capable of, of winning, certainly given how things shook out at the end of the race, I, I, I'd feel pretty good. And uh, last week I wrote an article for NBC Sports about Denny Hamlin, you know, talking about him, you know, despite being winless, he is better suited for the playoffs than he was last year. He is actually averaging on playoff tracks during the regular season. He averaged 17 more points per race this year than he did last year. So he's going in with a little bit more strength. And keep in mind, this was a guy whose post-race interview after Phoenix, he didn't put his head down. It it was not a woe is me kind of interview. He was almost smiling, (laughs) saying that yeah, I, I did everything that I could possibly do. Our team made no mistakes. We did not have the speed. That, and that was where it is. And he, ca- and he called it uh, a learning moment or a learning experience, something, something to that effect. And he's come back this year, this whole organization, maybe minus Kyle Bush, has come back this year having corrected some of the issues that ailed them last fall. I think that's pretty impressive they made the successful pivot we just don't know the full extent uh to it uh, at least just based on New Hampshire but prior to that I I felt great about Hamlin I still feel good about his chances of at least getting back to Phoenix as a member of the championship four based on what we've seen him uh, from him this year on tracks that are uh, that have res- representation in the playoffs
0: all right, this is what we've learned from New Hampshire going forward about, we've covered Penske, we've covered HMS, we've covered JGR. David, number four on my list was pit stops and how much they still matter. I know that may sound crazy and uh, kind of a, you know, no S, you <laughs> no, no bleep, but uh, what we saw on a flat track where track position matters a lot. It's just the extent of... of how bad a pit, or what the effect of a bad pit stop, I guess is what I'm saying. We've talked a lot about it on the subject, specifically the importance of being mistake-free, really, David, instead of being super fast. But Sunday, it just reminded us, a slower-than-average stop can absolutely be a detriment. Uh, Denny Hamlin, we talked about his speed. A freak thing costs him a ton of positions. We can kind of throw that out, a weird lug nut getting behind one-in-a-million thing, right? But a good car, like Chase Elliott. Remember I told you he was leading all those laps? A good pit stop Sunday, David, was about in the low 13 seconds. Elliott's first few stops, 14.8, 15.0, 16.9. He lost a ton of track position. Again, I had his pit in in that last stage. Didn't go well after that, right? I mean, lost a ton. By that point, you know, they lost so much track position. Even the speed they didn't have wasn't going to help them. Similar with Blaney. We talked about his speed earlier. Two bad pit stops early in the race. It, It just felt like it left him chasing those spots. For the rest of the race, again, he did rebound at the end, but, you know, you wonder what he would have been like with that better track position. And then, David, you look at the other end, two of the best crews on Sunday, interestingly enough, Eric Almirola in the 10 car and Kevin Harvick in the four car, who had a great run going. I don't think that's a coincidence. Um two of the three fastest pit stops of the day on Sunday, David, the 20 crew, uh, who finished second Christopher Bell. So going forward again, to me, it was just a reminder of how much that will factor in, especially a slow stop, you know, may not have to be the fastest, but if you're slow cost you track position, and it really does factor in can factor into your, uh, race ending position. Yeah. Fast cars having fast pit stops,
1: this is sort of a rich get richer scenario, right? Because if you make no adjustments, you're probably going to have a pretty good stop. Because if you need to to make adjustments, every time a wrench goes in the window, the pit stop gets slower. And that's just the the, the nature of, uh, of pitting and trying to make your car go faster. But what you said is interesting. The slow stops, uh, Chase Elliott- specifically because this was the fastest pit crew of the first half of this season. And I'm reminded of something that Greg Ives spoke about regarding his pit crew on behalf of Alex Bowman. His focus for his pit crew isn't to have the fastest stop. It's to have a stop with no mistakes. And to that end, they've won races this year based on pit stops, but that's an interesting mindset to have., uh, if you are trying to be I mean, everyone's going fast. I, I think that's plain as day. But if you're trying to be fast to the point that you're you're pushing it past a limit that just doesn't need to happen, you're you are going to make those mistakes. So as we get into the playoffs, that that's typically when we see some crew shuffling uh, from some of these bigger organizations as teams get eliminated, you see, Good, you know, tire changers that move from one team to another, and you're trying to optimize everything, and that helps to a certain effect. You are trying to get faster, but really, I'm just reminded again the goal is to not make mistakes. Uh, and even then, a bad pit stop can kill a good strategy or um, can rescue a, a bad strategy. I, I think back to Atlanta. Matt McCall's call on the final green flag pit cycle for Kurt Busch, we've complimented McCall this year. He's maybe the most improved pit strategist all in, but I think his retention rate for Kurt Busch when pitting from inside the top five is like 20%. The call wasn't great. Uh, Kyle Busch actually leapfrogged him for position, but the stop was good enough where it mitigated some of the damage and and oh, by the way, Kurt had the fastest car and that certainly helped, but you're, you're right. I mean, it's just another reminder. And we saw it in the championship race last year with Brad Keselowski, what would have happened had he not lost? Yep. What was it like 11, 12, 16 spots, whatever it was on, on pit road at Phoenix. Uh, he had the fastest car in the race and he couldn't rescue himself from those mistakes. So, uh, you're right. You're right to see it. I'm glad you were on pit road to witness it firsthand because yeah, it's obviously a really big deal. All
0: right, and finally, number five from what we can take away from New Hampshire, possibly going forward, David. This one, this is one I, I just made the strongest debate with me. SHR is relevant again. Now, how do you wrap your argument around this? <laughs> they have the win. Yeah, right. It puts Eric Almirola firmly in the playoffs. Kevin Harvick, you expect him to be there as well. I guess uh, defining relevance, if you will. But if we want to look a ton into it, they had good speed so that that will be relevant to the 750 tracks in the playoffs. But how far are you going with this? It was one surprising race, if you will.
1: Oh, I don't think it's just one. Uh, I, if you factor in Nashville, this is a, a oh, second yep. really significant okay. um, step in the right direction for SHR. Earlier this year, Rodney Childers was admirably open, I'll say, about the sizable effect on downforce that came as a result of a new inspection template. And it had, uh, particularly for Stuart Haas, a walloping effect. And since then, He's been publicly pessimistic about SHR's path back to uh, something similar, Uh, 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 maybe a a point uh, status that they had last year. And understanding that, I would argue two things. Firstly, I don't think a return to that status that they had last year, to what they were exclusively doing well on big tracks. I don't think that's a recipe for a championship. Clearly, it wasn't last year for Kevin Harvick. Okay. Secondly, if the inspection template change, uh, if that forced them to pivot and focus on 750 tracks, then NASCAR did them a huge favor. Because without that change, I don't know if they would have made that switch. I think this, this conceivably is the best thing that could have happened to SHR now it has not been pretty for them on the bigger tracks so i'll admit your your hesitation in agreeing with me on whether they're relevant I, I understand that but they've crafted a decent 750 program and if you consider that maybe nashville was the first race where they had uh a shot at maybe something new just to see what it was almarola had the fourth fastest car that day uh, i don't you know, I don't know how much Nashville translates to New Hampshire, but Almarola speed specifically did. And it was a fast day for Kevin Harvick as well, ranked third in median lap time. He did not win this race, but he made his presence felt. And it leads me to believe that, yeah, they, they've, they've got a, a far better hand that they're playing with in advance of the playoffs than maybe we would have thought a week ago.
0: All right, good stuff. And again, these are maybe not overreactions, but things we hope to have learned from the New Hampshire race going forward as we look toward this playoff run. Next up, David, let's do some free agent talk as we head into this break because, you know, a lot of times this is the dominoes are falling, right? We get the Brad Keselowski news officially this week. Ryan Newman back as an official free agent. See, would he add him to the list? But instead of accurately guessing who goes where, Let's look at the top. Let's look at each of the top drivers available on the market, and, and try to identify the best fit or team or situation, whatever have you, in which the driver would thrive. We'll kind of reverse how people think about it. Uh, let's talk. Let's start with Matt DiBenedetto Benedetto because he has certainly been the talk after uh, officially finding out for finality, if you will, that he will not be back with Team Penske nor the Wood Brothers, even though, uh, you know, some could say he should have known for a long, long time. Uh, But, David, we heard, you know, his thoughts on that. But when we look for what what team, where situation would be the best fit if Matt De Benedetto is trying to look for this next step, w- what situation most benefits his abilities? Maybe we should talk about what his abilities are first. Uh, I think we've talked about him before. A quality restarter, correct? I think the numbers show from the preferred groove. He's pretty good.
1: Yes, that is true. And uh, I would also say 550 horsepower tracks okay. uh, just based on his peer splits this year. So... Uh, you know, I, I broke down that that uh, that massive transaction day: Sendrick to uh, to Pensky, Burton, to Wood Brothers, and De Benedetto to the open market uh, for NBC Sports. And when I wrote the De Benedetto portion, I said that he is simultaneously underrated and overrated. Hmm. Uh, he's he's beloved by the people that love him. He is underrated because. Uh, folks see that he's winless. Uh, some of these comments are are bonkers. Saying, "Oh, he never won in the truck or uh, truck series." Well, he never actually made a start in the truck series. So let's 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 bench that for a moment. I don't think really anyone has a good read on what he does well, and by that I mean the industry at large. Folks are beginning to see the restarts. Folks are maybe understanding that he is not. Uh, uh, we'll say equipped to be the best possible driver to take advantage of an organization focused on 750 tracks, okay? In that sense, he might be with the wrong team driving for the Wood Brothers. So I think r- right now where he's at is a mismatch. Ideally for him, he's looking for a team that, that needs to build around his short runs and maybe has to focus on five, fifty tracks to to do anything, accomplish anything. And I think a small team actually benefits him more because uh let's face it, Wood Brothers is it's a de facto Penske team. He's one of a crowd and and they are going to pull in the direction of what they want to do, what the overall goal is, and that's to win a championship, even though that really doesn't involve him. I I don't know if a situation exists right now in the Cup Series that suits him, but I feel like a team like a Front Row Motorsports Mm -hmm. that already has a focus on 550 tracks, uh, that has a need for drivers with some kind of identity, and De has a short run identity. It's a team uh, whose crew chiefs focus heavily on green flag pit strategy. Which the best strategist Matty D ever had was Randy Cox, and that was for GoFast Racing, and that was three years ago. So he's sort of not had a crew chief able to supplement long run passing, maybe his biggest weakness. Front row motorsports to me san, uh, stands out as if it's not an opportunity. I don't know that McDowell and Alfredo are going anywhere, but a small team and underdog mentality and one that's sort of forced to build around De Benedetto's strengths, knowing that, yeah, he, he might not be a top 10 driver, but on his best day, he could be the top 15, top 16 guy in the series. He was last year. That's not far-fetched. Um, have that understanding and know to a fault what he is and what he actually does well, that would benefit him. Um, I don't know if that's going to come to fruition or not, but, um, I think looking at the last two or three years, he's just been paired with potentially the wrong teams, uh, ill suited for his strengths.
0: All right and certainly that will come with questions though cuz uh eventually it's all going to come back to the driver right you can always say oh potential potential you know it's, uh paired with the wrong person but um that comes with the uh, good and bad because uh, the haters will certainly come out and start wondering when when the driver's going to you know get it yeah. done so but 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 it is real because yeah. there's
1: because that fit
0: matters right mm. uh
1: you know for him Being one, that's what he's saying. That
0: right now he he you know he got Hassler. They made the crew chief change. that's what he says. His biggest regret is is not forcing a team's hand or anybody's hand much much earlier and having that fit. So I think you're onto something.
1: Yeah, and and I don't I don't think he really ever fit there to begin with. I don't I don't view. I, I think he thrives as an underdog, as hot takey as that is to say, but. Also, this team clearly wasn't built with him in mind. He was plugged into the situation that Paul Menard had going on. I don't know if that's where a driver wants to be. I don't think you're going to say no to that offer, but was it the best thing for his career? I'm not so sure about that. Now, I, if, if he's going to thrive from being with a smaller team that's that sort of has to go by his strengths, I look at uh, somebody like Ryan Priest. I know he's on our list to talk about next. Priest is a driver who builds his own modifieds basically and has been with a small team for a while in the cup series. He needs a wall of engineers to talk to and he needs other marquee drivers within the organization to sort of plug in the gaps of knowledge that he's been lacking. Like, like if you, if you could maybe swap, their two positions, their two lots in life,
0: hmm.
1: both would probably perform better individually. Um So I don't know. Do you want to talk about Preece?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because look, it, 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 to that point, you know, is he an ideal fit for a big race team? That is something he has not been on. Uh it, It's the, the proper way to judge him. Maybe you can help me with that. I, you know, I look at speed of the car versus his finish He's slightly, his average finish is slightly above where his car ranks in speed. I think that's a positive, right? But we also haven't seen much improvement out of him. If you look, if you go by just average finish or the top line stats, uh, it's been pretty consistent. And I don't know if the consistent is what you want out of a young, what you hope to be emerging driver, right? You want a little improvement. I don't know if we're seeing that as much as we should be. Well... It, it, that depends on how you want to look at it, right? Yeah.
1: Because that his JTG team this year is not chartered. Uh, this is the team with the among those in the top thirty. This is the second worst pit crew. Uh, only Anthony Alfredo's is worse. Hmm. I mean, the, the pit crew's been criminally bad at times compared to where what Ricky Stenhouse has is sort of a middle of the road pit crew. It's a big drop off, and. I look at Paris. he is a positive surplus passer on every track type right now, and he ended the year as a positive surplus passer on the whole uh, last year. He does kind of win battles within his running whereabouts. The problem is, is I don't, I don't know that JTG Doherty is in a position to fill in the gaps in his knowledge because he had a weird trajectory. He had Mm. one year in the Xfinity series with JD Motorsports, uh, a part-time schedule with Joe Gibbs Racing, and Chris Gabehart was his crew chief, and he won races in the Xfinity series. Um, Modifies. He never really – he didn't do ARCA. He didn't do K&N, any of that, Uh, and then goes into cup right off the bat, full-time ride. JTG Doherty, and they've been ever since he got there in transition. They started building their own cars for the first time, and they were making driver changes and crew chief shuffles. This is his first year having uh, a crew chief two years in a row, if I'm not mistaken, and Trent Owens. So it it's been, I mean, he's probably fortunate to be where he is. Most modified drivers don't make it this far anymore. But on the same time, I don't know that he's ever had a fair crack. And if you placed him in, say, a Stuart Haas racing car, where there's a driver that he's friendly with, Kevin Harvick, I mean, he, that's who represents him, essentially, uh, agency-wise, to, to help fill in these knowledge gaps that might not exist anywhere at JTG Doherty, and you consider the brains on the SHR campus, that's an opportunity that I think he would thrive in. And if you look at his peer right now, him and Cole Custer have, have sort of gone back and forth. I think it's it's interesting to note that Custer has more access to knowledge, and this is the result that he's turning in, whereas Priest probably doesn't have that access, and he's getting similar results um, equipment removed, right? There is a world in which things are better for priests. I don't know if he's ever going to get this opportunity, but w- considering that he's with a team that doesn't have a charter, it, it's sort of an uncertain future. There, you know, Rumors were shut down this week that Harvick was going to buy that team outright. I don't see that happening. Um, no, Bob he, Popres, well, no interest. Yeah. Bob Pocker said that Tad isn't selling. So I'll, I'll take that as gospel for now. Uh, but Priest's ride is certainly in jeopardy. It, it just it hasn't ever felt concrete uh, to begin with. So you you kind of do want to see if there is a next level for this kind of driver, who by the way is phenomenal in modifieds and has been good at every level until this one. And even his peripheral stats suggests that there's something there worth looking into uh certainly maybe worth a, a roll of the dice but there are so few of these rides
0: available you wonder if that option
1: is ever gonna open up
0: and i mean you mentioned just potentially giving him more resources what he could do with it is it too much to look into i mean when he had those few races with jgr and goes out and wins i mean doesn't that tell the story is that is that too obvious? Like, obviously you put him in good equipment, he's going to do good, but you know, he did what he was supposed to with that, right? You gave him good equipment. He went out there and won. Not every driver does that in great equipment. Uh, that, 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 that seems at least a bit telling to me that if you did put him in good equipment, he would know what to do with it. As simple as that sounds.
1: Yeah. And that's in, in all realities, that's probably how he got the JTG Doherty ride to begin with was based on how he did perform for JGR, but he also had a uh, a respectable peer driving for JD Motorsports, just, you know, no one cares uh, what, what you're doing in the JD car. Uh, Ross Chastain had to get out of a JD car to prove himself elsewhere. But um, God, for, for priests, you just, you wonder, you, 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 we, we've seen JTG in recent weeks just show up to the track with duds, with engine problems early on, or, or I mean, uh, altogether, just not, not great outings. And then you see the upside of Ricky Stenhouse paired with Brian Patty. And those two have a mind meld and they throw down a good race. That's what they're capable of. Um, you wonder what's missing with priest right now and his team, uh, again, not chartered. You can understand if they're throwing more resources in the direction of the, the 47 car, but, if not, you just want a little bit better just to understand what he's truly capable of.
0: All right. That's uh, Matt DiBenedetto, Ryan Priest. Next up, Ross Chastain. Uh, something, I mean, a surprise, unexpected free agent, right? Ganassi has been sold to Trackhouse. We don't know what the future holds. Well, uh, one driver will go it, either Kurt Busch or, you know, they have Kurt Busch and Ross now. Only one of them is staying, if if any of them, uh, to be a teammate with Daniel Suarez. So, uh, has Ross helped himself out this year in the 42 to me, David, the eye test, uh, the sniff test, the watermelon taste test. I don't know. To me, all those things, they say, yes, uh, the car crew chief combo to me, just looking at it, right. Is performing better than it was last year uh you know post Kyle Larson and all that stuff they have upped their game the forty two has upped its performance. Uh, I think we're seeing him take advantage of his strengths, which have turned out to be some of these uh road course tracks and when they get there, he performs you know when it, it's not every week, but when he is supposed to when he can, he seems to be taking advantage of what he should be to me that is great. that is something to work on so I think he has improved his stock this year
1: yeah I, I you said it with with road courses. Right. like It's almost as if he is tailor-made for the next-gen era, where the schedule expands to road courses. Um, But he's also established himself this year as an efficient passer, which is something we didn't really see uh, from him in the Xfinity series. He was known for his restarts in the Xfinity series. And here he is, this guy who... It is rubbing some drivers the wrong way, trying to force passes, but, Always,
0: has. Always
1: but, but <laughs> it's effective. It's effective, right? Like he is getting positions. Uh, the pier is in a good spot. He probably won't end up in the playoffs, barring a shock win, but it was a good year. I think it answered a lot of questions. Uh, we didn't know if the road course thing was real because a lot of those passing numbers took place with premium motorsports, and we don't really know how to gauge that turns out they were true uh, he, he's he's a driver w- with some staying power in this series and I don't know that he has a whole lot of watermelon money he's got a little bit of watermelon <laughs> money and maybe that can help him stay in if it comes to that that's somebody that uh, a, a team can build on and it, it just it strikes me when I think about what he's doing well now, Ganassi speed has been all over the place this year. It's been fast recently. Uh, you know, we're two weeks removed from Atlanta. But over the whole of the year, I haven't really known what to expect from this program, really. Um, but Chastain's managed it pretty well. And I, I think. A lot of his time spent in some of these backmarker cars, making them faster than what they probably should be, has benefited him uh, in this scenario. And I think because of that, it opens him up to every team. He might not have a program hiring him next year of an equivalent caliber to the one that he has this season, but I also think that he could thrive regardless of – a program speed and i i i think that would be interesting to see what happens if he's with a maybe a, a smaller team or a team just with less speed than the one he has now mm-hmm. uh,
0: um do you i hope he gets the look that he deserves from Trackhouse house to stay you know we don't know That's how much one you, yep yeah yeah how do you mean or
1: no, but, well, okay, so small team, like you said, yeah, yeah, and growing team, right? Okay. Like, and and we've we've talked about kind of where their speed is this year. It, it's it it has also gotten better recently, but it really wasn't great for the whole of the season. And there's an RCR affiliation that I don't know if is if it's going to continue in the next gen era. So it's still an independent operation finding its footing. A driver like a Chastain with a knack for getting better results than JD Motorsports is getting, certainly than Nice Motorsports uh, (laughs) should have have gotten, I think, in the truck series. He's pretty much made that his history. That, to me, is more impressive than what he did in a Ganassi Xfinity car, where everyone who got in that car won uh, an Xfinity race, Or, or even the Colleague Xfinity car. He didn't win. And, and that last year, I was more interested in his peripheral stats. His peer was great last year, despite not winning, but I've been more impressed with what he's been able to do in, you know, equipment with maybe just, uh, or just teams with a shallow talent pool to do very well. Not every driver can do that. And certainly not every free agent driver can do that. But here's someone who kind of has that on his resume. It's a feather in his cap and it's something to consider, Certainly, if you're a small team looking to grow like Trackhouse.
0: All right, good stuff. We'll see what happens in this next two-week break. I think a lot of news and dominoes will be uh, put into their rightful place over the next few weeks before we go back racing. We shall see. Don't forget, we are available on all major podcast platforms, no matter your device. Our entire back catalog of episodes is available for free at posregpod.com. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a rating or review. This does help and spread the word. We, of course, notice. It is so appreciated. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. We'd love to answer them. Sometimes we do entire episodes based around your questions. Reach out to us on Twitter at posregpod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, I know it's an off weekend, but I bet you're still working hard. What do you got?
1: Yeah, it's, it's an Olympic break. Uh, I will not be taking a break, though. Uh, I will write a uh, for a few suitors, namely NBC Sports and Forbes. So if you're interested in getting all of that content straight to your email inbox, shoot me a note at motorsportsanalytics at gmail.com. I will not spam you. I'm just uh, delivering some good NASCAR
0: articles. Good stuff there. And NASCAR may be off, but the rest of the racing world is not. So, if you're a subscriber and listening to this on Thursday morning, first of all, thank you. Uh, but then make sure you go over to my Twitter account at Alan Kavana and watch the latest edition of Quick Hits, which sets the table for your upcoming weekend of racing. And there is always a lot. I do that on behalf of Speed Sport, and it is such a privilege to do that. And make sure you watch Tuesdays as well for a review of the big weekend of racing. We try to cover it all over at Speed Sport, and just. Make Make Sure, you follow all my social channels at Alan Kavana on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and all that stuff. David, another good episode. Thank you so much. Episode 112 Positive Aggression. For David Smith, I'm Alan Kavana. Have a great weekend, everybody.